Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is June 22nd, which is a Wednesday. And uh, yeah, getting caught up a little bit. My birthday was on Sunday, and uh, I apologize for this being late. So the review pod with myself and uh, Steve and Weege was late too with Father's Day and my birthday. And yeah, it's just been, uh, there's been a lot going on. So without further ado, we will jump into some coverage from the high point national that was on saturday and yeah long flight for me um across the country kind of the first cross country of the outdoor season for a lot of people i think most people are kind of transitioning to florida if they haven't already um you know that colorado like hangtown colorado high point they probably stayed in california after hangtown went to colorado then to Florida, so then they'll stay on the East Coast now. So it's, um, you know, they want to get a lot of testing in, in California. Not everybody, like the, I'm sure the Lawrence brothers were in, uh, were in Florida some, and, and it depends, right? Your means and your team's ability to put you in different places also kind of have, has an effect on that. Like a lot of the privateers, I'm sure, weren't crisscrossing the country, right? They'll, they'll try to have a home base somewhere just, yeah, just because of finances. So you're getting those guys all into Florida now and, and kind of into their summer routine. So I think, you, you know, for, that, for them, that's a really good thing, although it is very tough. The weather and, and practicing and humidity and all those things are difficult. But, like, riding conditions as far as the tracks and, you know, having tracks that have great traction and you're on private tracks a lot of the time, like, all of that is, is a really positive development for kind of the rest of the summer. And, and I think the guys really enjoy that aspect of it. So I don't know that that'll affect the results at all. Probably not. You know, it's just kind of an every year type thing, but it is a big change for a lot of the guys. Like moving into that Florida summer is, um, it takes some adjustment. It really does. Um, you have to really be mindful of your hydration. Uh, you need to make sure that you're resting a lot, which I think is kind of an overlooked aspect to this. You need to work hard. That goes without saying. But hard work without recovery is, I don't want to say a waste of time, but you're, you're doing yourself a huge disservice is really more the critical thing there. So uh, before we get too far into what happened at High Point, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Pump Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing, where I'm actually at the office right at this moment. So high point, what do we see? 250 class. Uh, I mean, just one of the best 250 races I've ever seen is all we saw, right? The, uh, that second moto 
was the stuff of legends. I mean, you you have this war between two brothers. And that I don't know that that's ever happened before. I can't think of a time where there's been two brothers at the very top of the sport that were this, I don't want to say dominant, but that are this good. And they won the race by 30 seconds. So it's really hard to push back against whatever accolades you want to give those two. And I get the comments from people. I see them on Twitter, not only to me, but other people. It's like, hey, show other people besides Hunter and Jet. Well, I don't know what you expect with that because the two best guys are brothers and they're on the same team and they're giving you like the best battle that you could ever ask for. Like, how do you not expect them to be on TV nonstop and then to get constant praise and the storylines to be around them? It's, it's too good. It's too good of an opportunity. It's too fundamentally sound and, um, progressive for the sport like you're gonna get so much outside interest from that dynamic like there's just no way to really work around that being something that television producers and reporters and guys like Mathis and even myself like I'm going to try to find stories to talk about with them because it's right in front of you and it's it's just too simply too good to pass up so um you know, as far as Jet, like, he got it done, right? Like, it was an interesting dynamic talking to those two on the podium because I think Jet wanted to kind of, like, needle his brother a little bit. But I think he also realized his brother was not real happy, and it wasn't, like, the perfect time. So, like, you got to remember Jet's the little brother, right? Like, he's his older brother's probably his hero. You know, he's watched his older brother – you know, they moved to Europe together. Hunter went immediately in, into MX2 and was like a, I don't want to say superstar, but a contender. And Jet's just this little kid on 85s watching his brother on this world stage. So there, there is still some of that. Like I, I could see it in Jet's demeanor that he like wanted to kind of needle his brother. Like, ah, ha, ha, I got you. But he can't, he doesn't want to be a jerk either. Like this is still his brother who is his hero. You know, like there's, there's something, definitely something to be said for how careful he was about going too far because Hunter wasn't happy. Like he was putting on a a brave face and, and saying the right things and doing the right things. But I'm telling you, like when he came off the track, he wasn't, he wasn't like, Oh man, what a great battle. That was insane. Like, you know, we should be so thrilled. It, It wasn't that it was more, of frustration, felt like he had a win there, let his brother, you know, kind of get off the hook. And he knows that he needs to put points into his brother. Like that's the only way he's going to be able to beat his brother is like when you have opportunities like that, when everything's lined up for you to get the job done, you can't, you can't miss, right? You can't like, you know, not, not get it done. Like it has to happen. So, um, I, I just think he realized the opportunity that he kind of let go there. And if he wants to be champion in this class and he wants to beat his little brother and he wants all of the things that come with being champion, the days where you are on and you're at a really good track that you have won motos at before, and you have it all right in front of you, just like he did, right? He's winning that second moto. He won the first moto, like it's all there for the taking. He was already pulling away. Like he was doing really good laps. 
And then all of a sudden his brother drops down to a 205 on like lap four and just eviscerated the lead that he had built up. And that's just really tough to kind of swallow if you're a hunter. And I, I can understand the anger in, in that situation because of that. Like that's, it's probably driving him. He probably staring at the ceiling this week because of uh, just how frustrated he is with that, right? I don't think anything is lost. You look at the points, it's still really close, you know? So like, don't, there's no reason to like freak out. Um, but at the same time, you cannot continue to allow your brother to get wins. He, you know, Hunter, or excuse me, Jet is too consistent. He doesn't make big mistakes. He's not, in my opinion, I don't think he's going to give you those weekends where he just gives you back, you know, 20 points. Like he just doesn't do that. When has he ever done that really in his career? I mean, a few times in Supercross, he's had a really off night and you could say, well, yep, there was a, there was a crack in the armor, but outdoors, I, I haven't seen it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it does, it's never happened or anything, but I would say it's, it's definitely the outlier event if it does happen. So Hunter knows that. And I think that's another aspect of this storyline that people probably aren't talking about enough is when these guys are battling, like they know each other's tendencies so well, right? Like they, they know each other inside and out. Hunter knows how Jet's feeling, like if he's still under the weather or if he's actually like good, you know, if he, is he healthy? And I would bet that Hunter felt like in Jet's condition, he probably didn't um, take advantage enough of that situation. You know, like when he knows he kind of has Jet on the ropes and Jet's not 100% yet and Jet's not maybe at his best track, you've got to strike. You have to take advantage of that. And conversely, right, if you think about where Jet is in this equation, how he's thinking about it, he knows his brother really well. Like he's been watching his brother race all over the world since he can probably before he can remember. So he knows what Hunter's good at. He knows what he's not good at. And I guarantee you, he's like piecing together how to attack his brother in the middle of these races. And that, that's what I found so entertaining during that moto was that they had to, they had to battle. Like they have to remember their brothers. They have to remember their teammates. They have to remember that Honda, no matter what needs them to be at the front, right? So they can't do anything stupid professionally. They definitely don't want to do anything stupid on a family basis. Right. And you know, like to say they're best friends too, is probably not reaching. Like they train together, they ride together. You can see how, when they're together, how much they're like needling each other. Like they're, they're super tight, right? So they're not going to put each other at risk. And you really didn't see them even get close to each other. Like any passes were very careful. Um, they didn't take any unnecessary risk. Like there just wasn't, okay. Perfect example. When Jet passed Justin Cooper on the inside, he like, doubled those breaking bumps and with the inside, you saw how aggressive he was willing to be with Justin Cooper there, right? He like shoved it in there. And if they made contact, fine, so what? I don't care, I'm okay with that, right? I don't personally believe you would have seen a move like that come from Jet onto Hunter or vice versa. Like the, the level of aggression uh, is just, it's just simply different between those two. 
And I think that's what you should expect. Like that's to be expected um, between those two. Like you're not going to see any sort of risk taking in the midst of a battle. Like they're going to keep it clean. They're going to be fair. If they make a pass, it's got, it's got to be like a few feet away. They're not going to do anything dumb. And it's just a, a totally different dynamic. So really long-winded on that subject. I just think it needs to be addressed because we just simply don't see things like this very often. Like we don't see it enough. Um, it's just a great, great thing for the sport. And even if you're one of the fans that is tired of it, I would implore you to just get that out of your head and understand how great it is what we're watching because it it truly is, man. It's, it's really, really awesome. Um, and we may never get anything like this ever again. Right. So we should try to absorb it as much as we possibly can while we have it, because what's going to happen, right? Jet, I believe at the end of next well, not the end. A year from now, I believe Jet will be riding 450 motocross. I think he'll ride, you know, obviously he'll finish this season. I think he'll ride 250 supercross next year. And then I think he will move to 450 motocross a la Chase Sexton's route, what, two years ago? Kind of, that's basically the same thing that Sexton did. He won that supercross championship, then moved to uh, the 450 class. That's what I think we will get from Jet, which means Hunter next year will be the only Honda 250 in motocross. Well, I shouldn't say that. Hymas would be in the motocross season next year. So it would line up. Jet would move to 450. Hymas would move up to the pro class for outdoors. And then Hunter would be your kind of title contender guy that they're resting all their hopes and dreams on for a championship. So this may be the last time we ever get those two racing for a motocross championship on the same team. Because I don't know that, you know, when, when uh, we interviewed Hunter and, and other times he spoke with multiple people, you know, his kind of point was I, I re-signed with Honda two more years, be in the 250 class, then I want to extend and be on the 450. Well, I'm sure you do, like, no worries, I don't, but who knows what the dynamic is in two years for not only for Hunter, but for Honda and who's available. And there's a lot of variables there to work through versus just assuming that Hunter will be able to absorb a 450 ride at HRC Honda. Like it's arguably the most coveted spot in the pits. So nothing should be assumed as far as that you're going to get that spot is is really my only point. So this may be it. This may be our last shot at it. Teammates, brothers, championship battle, all those things. Um, Anyway, okay. I'm, I'm sure people are listening going, okay, move on, move on. I got it. All right. Uh, Joe Shimoda, I thought he fought really hard. Um, I made a mistake on the podium of the first moto by saying he got a bad start. He didn't get a bad start. He got a good start and then went straight backwards. So the end result was kind of the same. After a couple laps, he was behind all of the main dudes. I screwed that up and uh, I was frustrated with myself for not paying better attention to that. But I just remember looking up after a few laps and seeing him behind all those guys and be like, oh man, that's, that's going to be a tough slog to kind of work through and, and he did it. He did it. He had to do it in both motos. He got third overall by fighting for it. You know, he passed Hamaker on the last lap of, uh, of that second moto. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was a, a good job. You know, the biggest thing for him is he still has some, some rough edges to work out. You know, he, he's making mistakes. He is going backwards far too many times on the early laps and he's making life too easy 
on Hunter and Jet, right? Remember Hangtown? I think he should have won. I don't know should have, but because you could say Moseman in there as well, but could have won that second moto, and he just crashes. He just falls over all on his own, right? And those instances, Hunter's done the same thing. Those instances are what will kill you in a championship or, as far as the overall results go, trying to beat the best guys because those the best guys are the best guys for a reason. And typically, it's because they don't do things like that. They don't crash all on their own and give away wins. That's just not who they are. You know, they, they're... They have ironed out those inconsistencies. And you're seeing Chase Sexton work through that in the 450 class, right? He figured it out in the 250. He has not yet figured it out completely in the 450. He doesn't do it all the time, right? And he's been very vocal about it. He's not going to do that anymore. But saying and doing are two different things. And sometimes you just make a mistake in the moment. And you can say something all you want, uh, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So just watch for Shimoda to try to kind of figure that out. Um, as we move forward, uh, Justin Cooper, tough first moto. You know, he just said he never felt good all day. Uh, he was struggling with the bike, struggling with his pace. Uh, just, just wasn't his day. You know, second moto was better. Like you saw him get up there, get up there, and get in the fight with uh, with Jet. Like he passed Jet, and then he kind of was like set off after after Hunter. And then when Jet dropped into that two oh five lap time, that kind of changed the whole dynamic for the race. Um, you saw Justin Cooper drop off the pace significantly from there, and he ended up 30 seconds down. My opinion on that is once he realized he wasn't going to stay with those two, you know, once they got five or 10 seconds ahead of him, I think he just mailed it in. And, and I don't mean that in a negative tone, but in this sport, for those guys, there are motos where he's probably looked at it and said, I can't beat him. I can't catch him. They're, they're pulling away. And he had third wrapped up. Well, there was no reason to take big chances or push beyond where he felt comfortable if he couldn't stay with him. Like if that ship has sailed and you have to be the one that makes that decision, you have to be very self-aware and, and you're constantly assessing the situation. If that's the, the kind of resolution he comes to is like, okay, I, I, this, this is over. I'm going to get third. There's nothing I can do. He's just going to chill. Like he's going to drop his lap time down. He's going to manage you know, whoever's in fourth, whether it was Hamaker or J- J- Shimoda or whoever. And as long as they're not catching him, which they weren't, and as long as nothing happens in front of them where it's like, okay, Hunter and Jet are tired. I need to push here. Neither of those things were happening. So I think he was just cruising. And that's why you see a 30-second lead uh, kind of evolve. And, you know, I was talking to, to Weege or somebody after the race about it. And they're like, oh, man, you know, it was 30 seconds. Like, they crushed him. And I'm like, yeah, but... That's a little bit of a misnomer because if Justin Cooper needed to hold the lead to 10 or 15 seconds, he could have done it, right? He would have had to push. There wouldn't have been anything gained, though. That's that's the most critical aspect of that is he would have upped his risk level. He would have expended more energy than really necessary, would have taken much more chance of crashing into play, which is very important in that dynamic. And he still would have got third. The points would have been the same. It would have been just a complete kind of waste of effort and risk. Um, so that, that's why I think you saw that 30-second lead. It wasn't just like, oh, my God, Hunter and Jet went into some other dimension and nobody could ride. It's part, that's a, that's a half-truth. Um, I think Cooper could have kept it reasonably close if, uh, if he was absolutely pressed to. Um, Michael Mosman, I, it's the same old story, man. It's, it's, 
like Shimoda, but on steroids, you know, I don't mean literal steroids, but a heightened degree of Shimoda, super fast, capable of winning, is winning, passes Hunter Lawrence for the lead, and then just goes down. And I think from watching him ride and watching the mistakes and watching the lap times also, I personally think he's trying too hard. I really do. I think he is overriding the track. I think he's taking too many, too many chances. Um, I think he's just like over the limit a little bit because he wants to win so bad. And I don't blame him for wanting to win. You know, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's, it's fine. But at the same time, you look at it and you're like, eh, like you can't keep going down. You can't keep crashing um, this way and giving wins away because, or else something's got to change. You, you need to fundamentally change your game plan a little bit here because this one's not working. Um, you know, t- the team is paying you. They want wins. They want overalls. They want you in the championship hunt. They want you to win a championship. You yourself claimed that you were going to win uh, five races. That was your goal, right? And, and I know I always harp on that, but I, it's more because his reaction when I told him that I chuckled a little bit was like disbelief. Like he could not believe that I told him that. And I was like, man, I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you because that's, that's a lot. That's, that's asking a lot, man. Like winning five races when you really haven't won much at all or, or if at all is such a gigantic jump forward. Like it just does not happen. It's, it's not really something that people do. And if you do it, if you go from a guy that has never really won to a guy that wins five races in a year, then look out because you are probably on your way to being one of the best ever. Like realistically, that's probably what's kind of in the cards for you. Um, so just, uh, yeah, you, you got to be frustrated for him. He, he's a really nice kid. No one is trying to... <laughs> No one's like kind of I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. No one's cheering for him to do poorly. I don't believe because he's too nice. Um, I don't think he really has a, a mean spirited bone in his body. So it's easy to cheer for him. And you're, you know, I kind of shake my head when I see him winning and then throw it away and picking his bike up. But that's been the storyline. That's kind of been what he's done for a while now. And he's kind of, evolved into this guy that can win and good for him. Like, that's great. Um, he's really worked on his game and improved and you can see it over the last like three or four years, but this final bridge to get to championship level, it might be a tough one. I don't know. Maybe he gets it done. Maybe he doesn't, right? There's been a lot, there have been a lot of people in his shoes right now, got to the level they can win, but they have to push the envelope to do it and they can never sort out that variance when they go to that level. They just can't figure it out from here. So I I don't necessarily have a really hard opinion about whether he does or doesn't. Um, I'm just kind of a passenger along for the ride. But I do know the telltale signs, and I've seen this dynamic play out for a lot of guys in this class. Um, it's It's a very, very common theme and a common story. Guys are fast enough to win, but can't hold it together. Like I I know you've seen and heard that before. Uh, last note on the 250s, Seth Hamaker, really, really good job from him. Um, you know, it was an, a really impressive ride. You know, I think he needs a little bit more polishing, 
but he's consistently putting himself at the front of this class. He's not, not quite staying there. I get it. But I've been impressed personally. Um, I think if he continues to put himself in that spot time and time again, then good things are going to happen for him, right? It's going to get easier. His fitness is going to get better. He's going to get more comfortable with racing those guys for the lead. And little by little, you'll start to see subtle improvements. And that's just kind of how it works. You know, the big thing is when he gets to where Moseman's at, where he's able to win, assuming he does, can he avoid the mistakes that he's making now? Because that's, that's just like the, the theme in the 250 guys, right? They get better. They're young. They're pushing the edge to crash, right? And it's like this. I don't know if it's born out of these guys just going so hard in the amateur class and they take so many chances um, that this is just the way they do it. I don't know. You know, I don't really have a, a solid theory as to why these guys tend to crash so much. That would be the only one I could really put a finger on is that they're so used to a five lap race where it's just full sprint and you're way over the line, you know, like this unmanageable sprint pace riding over your head type thing. Well, that's all well and good. And that works at like these, I don't know, spring nationals, you know, maybe the races are longer than that, but these local races or mini Olympics is a perfect example that works. That kind of dynamic will work and it will get you a ride on team green or KTM orange brigade or wherever. That's how these kids get rides because they can show that blinding speed. It just, I don't think it works for 70 minutes of racing on a Saturday, you know, in front of the, on the biggest stage. I just don't think that's sustainable. You need to get comfortable in that pace. Even if it's a 1% off that to where you can do it and replicate it and hold it. That's, that's really where, that's where it's done. That's how Jet's doing it. And I hate to reflect everything back to Jet, but that's where Jet's figured out. You don't see Jet taking big chances. You don't see him riding on the, on the ragged edge, right? He looks pretty calm, cool, and collected most of the time. That's the difference. And he's not making those mistakes. And that's where I believe in the margins there, that's why. It's because Jet is not pushing the edge. He's just riding within himself. Fortunately for him, within himself is good enough. Okay, so we're going to jump into uh, power rankings here. Um, they're not totally different. I did add and subtract a few guys. I took Cairoli out because he's exiting the series. Um, I, and, and I haven't, you know, if you're not in the series, like Ferrandis, I took him out. And anybody that's not in this anymore, I am pulling out because I want it to be relevant guys and guys that are going to be in this week in and week out. So um, without further ado, We'll just go right into it with uh, number 10, and that is uh, Shane McElrath. And I struggled with this 10th spot. I wasn't 100% sure kind of what to do with it. Uh, there was uh, Garrett Marchbanks, who was going to be the honorable mention, was in consideration. I really thought hard about putting him in this, uh, but I think McElrath deserves it. You know, he's been hovering around the top 10. He had a really great... Uh, second moto at Thunder Valley with a fifth. He opened up the series with a top 10. I just think he's been quietly very good and I'm, I'm good with it. Like I, I don't, you know, it hasn't set the world on fire, but at the same time, if you're a rockstar Husky, you wanted a 450 in the top 10 
that could get you good results and reflect well for their sponsors. And he is doing exactly that. So what more can you really ask for uh, from McElrath? So he gets the number 10, 10 nod. I, I'd still say he's a bit invisible lately, and, and the only way that he can cure that is by getting really good starts, in my opinion. Number nine, uh, Aaron Plessinger. And, and uh, you know, he's back. He had a really good second moto going. And then, uh, yeah, he hurt, twisted his ankle. I guess he got a pretty bad contusion on his ankle. Uh, and, I mean, I, I thought the worst. I thought he just destroyed his ankle or, or knee was actually what the, the thought was in my head that, you know, tore his knee and, like, season's over and all those bad things. But when I went over and talked to uh, his mechanic, Jade Dungey, after the race, you know, Jade was kind of, like, chuckling because he's like, he's fine. Like, he's going to be fine. I, he, I think Jade was actually – a little bit upset that he didn't continue on, right? I think he was frustrated that they had a really good ride going, and um, yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't finish it off. He he pulled over, let everybody by, and then and then uh, went over the checkered flag in fifteenth, only because he was a lap ahead of uh, of everybody else. Otherwise, it would have been much worse than that. So we'll see. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be back at um, at Redbud. But I mean, if you're KTM, you know, good better second moto no question there's there's a little bit of a silver lining but still just you know black and white i mean 915 results that's not it right that that's not what ap's hired to do i mean you're talking ktm's got to be in him for i'm gonna say 900,000 a year minimum um it could be a million like that's that's a lot of money you know they they paid top dollar to be winning that's just the long and the short of it so I get it if they're frustrated. There was a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel type situation in that second moto, but just on paper, this isn't what they they signed up for. So uh, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to be better. It's it's just that simple. So we'll see. That's up to him. That's up to him. He's got to sort that out. Number eight, I have Joey Savacci, and I've really liked what I've seen from Joey. Uh, he has just kind of progressed. You know, it's been a steady linear improvement. That first moto was kind of the outlier. He were really well. He fought off, you know, guys that I wouldn't have thought he was ready to, to necessarily battle yet. That was, um, I thought that was really, uh, I don't say reassuring, but it was just positive reinforcement, maybe a better word, to like, hey, the plan is working. Whatever we're doing, the, the training we're doing, the steps we're taking, this is working and we just need to stay the course. Just keep, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And in a week, in a month, the end of the series, we're going to be where we want to be. We're going to be trying to get podiums. Like it, it, this is going to work out if we just continue to climb, right? You just don't want setbacks. You don't want crashes. You don't want nagging injuries. You don't want any of that. That's, that's really what impedes further progress. So that's kind of what he needs to be guarding against a little bit, but I, I think he's on the right path. I really think, you know, he, that first moto was something he could, he can build off of and say, okay, I, I can do this, right? I, I know what to do and it's going to get easier and easier and easier every time you do that. So just watch that. Let's see if he can kind of leapfrog off of the platform that he built himself at high point. Number seven is Ryan Dungey. And I mean, what else are you going to say about the guy? He's a freaking American hero. Um, you know, he was genuinely enjoying this. He's the guy is just a badass. Like for him to be battling with Roxon, 
he hasn't raced this series in six years. It's been seven years since he was at that track and he's giving Roxon all he wants. Like that's, that's, it's not normal. Like that is, I don't know how else to like really explain it. He shouldn't be able to do that. He really shouldn't be able to be battling with Ken Roxon. Even if you want to say Kenny wasn't having a good day, it's fine. But I mean, Dungey was on the podium for a bit, like the overall. And then, you know, the Plessinger thing happened. But I just love everything about what Dungey's doing. I love how prepared he is. I love his attitude. I love that he's enjoying this whole process. And it, it doesn't seem like it's work for him. You know, like all that pressure, all the negative that before, like there's a lot of positive for him winning. But I'm telling you, at that level, there's a lot of negative that comes with it. Um, they never really feel off. Like there's, they're constantly under pressure to win. They're always worried about it. They're always stressing. They, there's always someone that wants their attention. There's always someone pulling at them. Like that's just, and I think that's why you see those guys leave, right? That's why they retire at 27. I I know that's why they retire at 27, right? You couple that with the risk of getting hurt, which Dungey did, and it makes total sense. So to see him come back now and be this good and look like he's having so much fun and always has a smile on his face um, it's just a really cool, really cool thing to, to kind of watch. And I, and I have a front row seat for it, which is, you know, probably the best part for me anyway. Uh, number six, I have Justin Barsha. And I thought Justin Barsha looked more racy. Um, I got a chance to interview him on Saturday morning before the, uh, the second practice. And he, he made mention that they were working on the bike a lot. Um, I don't think he was very happy with his settings so far this season. And they had been testing a ton. And he was very excited to get back to the East Coast where he felt like his chances for success would go up. Um, Not only getting the bike better, but just on dirt that he maybe identifies with, um, tracks that he's ridden a lot. Not that he's been around the series a long time, but like talk about these Northeast tracks. He's ridden a ton and he's ridden on dirt like that. He grew up on it. I just think he feels more comfortable. And when you feel more comfortable, that breeds confidence. And that's just what I kind of see happening for, uh, for Barsha. Uh, Christian Craig, number five, and I was, I was uh, really kind of I'm trying to think of the right word, um, deliberating. There we go, on what to do with Craig because I he's been so great, but this wasn't his best day. Um, he just wasn't necessarily in the fight. I think he went eight six on the day, and I'm, if that's wrong, I apologize if that's from memory. But it, you know, all these other races, at some point, you had to talk about Christian Craig because he was right there. At High Point, I didn't really feel like that was the case. It was like the first day where he was kind of in the background and there wasn't much of a narrative about Christian Craig's day. And so I, I almost moved him further down, but I think he deserves to be at five. I think three, at three out of four rounds, he's been incredibly relevant, a podium contender, and I'm not going to crucify him for an 8-6 day that just wasn't his best. 8-6, if 8-6 is your worst day or a really bad day, then I, I think you're doing, you're doing just fine. So I'll leave him at five and, and uh, I'll feel good about it. Number four, and, and these start to get a little bit more obvious, but I think maybe not exactly in the same order. I have Roxon at four. And I mean, we know this wasn't his, his best day, obviously. Um, he just, he, he made mention of it. He said it himself. He was just off. And, you know, he came on uh, the show that we do on Friday night over at the, uh, the monster setup. 
And he told us like, if on the good days, I'm going for it. I'm doing everything I can to possibly win. And on the bad days, I'm going to give it my all, but I can't like blow myself up. Like that's a term we use all the time. You know, I can't ruin my season because I'm not having a good day. I just have to put all of my effort into that day and do the best that I possibly can in that moment. And if that means just like he did this weekend, if that means going seven, three, then so be it. You know, I know he wasn't happy after that first moto. I, I, there's no doubt about that, but that's okay. You don't, you know, seven, three, he may not end up being your champion. That's obviously a very likely scenario, but a seven, three is not a day that you should just be miserable about. Because if you really look back over the last few seasons, he's had many days that were much worse than that. There were days where he's like going like nine, 10 and you're like, wait, what? Ken Roxon is getting 10th in a moto. How is that even, how is that even possible? Um, but that's, that's what we've seen. That's what we've seen. And that doesn't mean we won't see that this year. That first moto getting seventh could have been worse. He wasn't that far away from getting like a ninth or a tenth. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. But I'm hoping that we get the best Ken Roxon that we can because this sport is simply better when Ken Roxon is at his best. You know, if he's up there battling with Sexton and Tomac and Anderson and the leaders, the sport is better. There's just no way to get around. That's just a, a simple fact. Um, so let's, let's hope he has uh, more good days and less bad days. Number three, Jason Anderson. And this is the first time I've moved Anderson out of the number two spot in a very, very long time in the power rankings. Um, I'll tell you why. I didn't so much move Anderson because of Anderson. I moved him because I thought that someone was, was more deserving of number two. And I feel like I'm a little bit victim of the moment, and I hate that. But I think that Sexton deserves to be moved up. So this isn't a slide against Anderson. It's really not. You win seven Supercrosses. He, he, I mean, he got on the podium this weekend. So like, how can I really be an Anderson detractor? And it's not. I, I, I don't want it to come across as I'm negating the things that I saw from Anderson this whole season. It's really not that. It's more that Sexton has really come on. I mean, Sexton is, is coming into his own like nobody's business. So I just felt like Sexton's momentum pushed him a little bit past Anderson because I believe most motos, most time qualifying sessions, most of the time out there, Sexton's the best guy. That's just what I believe in most instances. That doesn't mean he's going to be a champion. He has some rough edges he needs to smooth out, just like we've talked about on this podcast and other shows for a long time. But I think that Sexton, his star is really starting to, to heat up. You know, his, he's really on his way to being the preeminent 450 guy. That, that's coming, man. You can see it. You know, you see it in Supercross. You saw the improvement. He should have won more races than he did. He had Minneapolis wrapped up. You see his outdoor progression you saw how good he was at fox raceway and he's backing that up you know he should have won the second moto at thunder valley and there's a lot of shoulda in there i get it there's a lot of opportunities that he's wasted but i think anybody can see how quickly you know like his growth and his improvement curve is damn near vertical you know he's just really really coming into his own so that's why i moved him at two wasn't it was less about Anderson moving backwards and more about Sexton 
moving forwards. And that's just how it has to be, right? Like they, they both can't be number two. I guess I could. Nobody's telling me I can't, but I just felt like Sexton has, uh, has earned it. Um, number one, Eli Tomac, right? Should be pretty obvious. And you have the Supercross Championship. He won seven Supercrosses. He's won the last two. Wait. He's won two second motos this year out of four. And he, he finally got his first overall. And he went, he has gone in this season, he's gone four, three, two, one as his overalls to start the season. So you can obviously see he's getting better and better and better too. They're working out settings on the Yamaha. They're getting him more comfortable. He's coming back from just the hampering of the knee injury. Not that it was serious or whatever, but he still did miss a little riding time. He missed some testing. You, you can just see him getting all those things in order. The knee, the bike, his pace, whatever. Whatever was keeping him from winning. Like at Fox Raceway, it was, all, it was bad, right? That was, wasn't a good day for Eli. We are a long way from there. If you look back from then to now, we're a long way away from that. So um, I just like everything I'm kind of seeing from him. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's going to be a really tough ask for Chase Sexton to hold Eli back. I really do. Um, I think the lead's like 13 points, something like that. I don't know exactly. But there's a lot of racing, right? We're a third of the way through the season. And you have Tomac coming on, who is a three-time champion in this class. So I'm sure Sexton's up for it. I'm sure he's like, yeah, bring it on. I'm ready for this. But it's asking a lot, man. Like, good luck. Not many people have been able to beat Eli Tomac in an outdoor championship. Uh, it just it really doesn't happen. You know, you look at the 2020 season, which I kind of believe was a little bit of an outlier. Um, you know, Osborne deserves all the credit, and he got bonus checks for days, right? He, he doesn't need accolades from me. But you had COVID. You had... Tomac coming off for Supercross Championship, so I think his whole outdoor season was just this gigantic exhale. You had the, two, the double DNF at Loretta's, right? So there was a, there was a lot to unpack with, uh, with that Supercross Championship that Tomac lost there. Um, but I think if you make a habit of betting against Tomac, you're probably going to regret it. That, that's just my overall take and, and overall policy. So I'll stick with Tomac as my title pick. Uh, I do want to thank the sponsors again, Pirelli Tires, uh, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, Fast Foundry, and Fly Racing. And if you guys have questions on any of those sponsors or um, if I can get you more information, uh, there are some promo codes at times, you know, check out their Instagram. Um, you know, we definitely want to support these companies and, and the economy is not doing so hot and it's not going to do so hot for a while. So we need to make sure that if we are, you know, we are out there and we're consumers and we're buyers, let's, uh, let's try to take care of the, uh, the companies that are core, core moto companies and putting money back into the sports so they can continue to do so. Um, so next up we are off this weekend. Uh, then we go to, uh, actually I won't be there for the next two for Redbud and Southwick. Those are NBC rounds. So I will be, uh, at home or maybe, at a pool or a beach somewhere. But um, yeah, I don't, I'm not contracted to do television for the NBC rounds. You will see Ricky Carmichael and Will Christian at those rounds, and I wish them uh, the best of luck. And so yeah, that's it for this week. We will uh, we'll be back. I don't know if I'll do a show. Maybe I'll do a show this weekend and just uh, do some listener questions or 
kind of cover some topics. Maybe I could talk about my TV experiences because there's, there's been some just really, really good stories um, so far that I, I don't know if I've told all of them yet. Like, you got to remember the trials and tribulations that I'm kind of working through as a complete rookie at this stuff. Like, the mistakes I'm making that maybe you don't even know, but they're glaring errors on my part. So maybe I can talk about some of that stuff uh, this week, and that'd be fun for me to kind of get some of that out and um, tell you kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff because there are things happening off-air, and then they come to me, and everything seems smooth, and, like, maybe there's a pause or whatever, but, like, there have been a few times where I'm like, it, it almost goes so far off the rails, and the whole show is ruined, and it's, yeah, we, like, pull victory or, you know, we're grabbing uh, – saving the day like right at the last second like it's like out of a script um so it it seems a little bit that seems a little bit dramatic but i promise you like it's it's been close for me a few times of just completely falling on my face so that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm making the decision right now i'm gonna cover some of those things uh this weekend so thank you to everybody for listening and uh yeah we'll be back this weekend with another show thank you all the sponsors of course too um if you guys ever want to listen to my patreon podcast i do it every saturday morning before the race it covers fantasy covers uh last minute news things that happen on friday because we do that monster show so i get some really good information from riders on friday um but yeah that's been a really fun development i kind of get everybody ready for uh for the race that morning too so that's my patreon it's patreon.com slash industry seating and i usually post uh the link to it on my twitter uh, on saturday mornings too if you want to check that out so that's it We'll see you later.